Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, October 14th, we're studying Proverbs chapter 27, verses 1 through 27. The Proverbs of Solomon that were recorded by the men of Hezekiah continue, shining a light for us on the way of righteousness that our gracious God gives. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Gavin Mize. Pastor Mize serves at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina. Pastor Mize, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you, Reverend Apple. It's always a pleasure to be be here with you. As we get started this morning, Pastor Mize, just give us some general comments on the book of Proverbs, wisdom literature, the section that we've got for us today. Help us get an introduction. Absolutely. Um, Basically, these are put into, or this chapter at least, is put into three basic, uh, three basic sections, one through five, still talking about the fool, um, and then five through twenty-two, which is discussing uh, how we treat our family, friends, and others, and even how they treat us, and uh, kind of going back and forth with every verse on that. And then finally, it wraps up rather quickly, kind of like it so quickly begins with uh, 23 through 27. And uh, again, it's still discussing kind of family and friends, but more uh, household items, so to speak. Um, and so that's basically how, how, we are to, how we are to section these off and uh, kind of go from there. All right. Sounds good. So pretty, pretty straightforward. Some very basic wisdom here, but plenty to discuss. So we'll break kind of in the middle of that big, large section here for that first part of the conversation this morning. I'll read verses 1 through 14 to get us started. Proverbs chapter 27. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, But a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey. But to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad, that I may answer him who reproaches me. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger, and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. All right, that's Proverbs 27, verses 1 through 14 to get us started. So we'll start at verse 1. 
Pastor Mize. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Take us into that verse. This one really jumps out at me. And um, when I was looking at some of the other verses, they some of them were, were, a little, were heavier, not to make a pun on verse three, but they were they were heavier uh, on, on my mind. And as I tried to work through them, I kept going back to verse one because that is one of my biggest sins uh, is I am a uh, worrier, pure and simple. I am I'm a worrier. Um, I constantly worry about the troubles of today and and so uh, here in Solomon's wisdom of Proverbs, uh, we see, do not boast about tomorrow for you know, for you do not know what a day may bring. And it sounds so much like Matthew uh, chapter six. Uh, and just to kind of go over that a little bit. Uh, but if if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, uh, will he will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your Father in heaven knows them, that you, uh, and that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's context, all leading to, the, to verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, and that's that's I I have such problem with this verse. Not problem in how it's written, but problem in its application to myself. Uh, and so when when I apply it to myself, I I think well, you know, I, not only am I anxious about tomorrow, I'm anxious about today also. Uh, and Christ in in this verse. Christ, who is who is who is present amongst them, is uh, is the one who we cast all of our worries on. And tomorrow really is the eschaton. So uh, there's there's very little for us to worry about in this world. But I have a rebuttal for Jesus. Uh, I say that there is plenty to worry about. Um, but I stand convicted in that in those <laughs> in those thoughts. Um, and like I said, I, I'm a my big worry work. So when we see, do not boast about tomorrow, um, for you do not know what the day may bring. Uh, we, we, it's kind of using some different language and some of the, the same, uh, same language. Boasting tomorrow um, is, is really more about what we are going to be able to do tomorrow uh, what we're able to accomplish in tomorrow and neglecting today um, or just not even think about today. I, I don't want to put too harsh of a point on it, but really looking towards tomorrow as if today was already um, was already over. And Christ says something very different. Uh, do not worry about today or tomorrow for even the Gentile worries about the things of of uh, clothing and food and 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 drink, and that's not that's not a an insult the way that it sounds. It's it's truly uh, to say that the Gentiles who Christ had not 
died for at this point in time and who later in Matthew will give the great commission to go into all ethne, that is the Gentiles, it's not nations, it's to to all of the others, and tell them of the good news that they will be baptized into when you're baptized into Jesus' death. But for this is to say God takes care of all people, including the Gentiles. Uh, But look at what is in front of you today, the Messiah, Christ himself. And in that, I I find comfort um, even when I put myself to to death and to bed uh, worrying about tomorrow. Christ reminds me that, uh, that I am baptized into his death and how glorious that is um, and that even my worries he has cast upon his upon himself and how beautiful that is and verse one really goes also with with verse three where it says a stone is heavy and sand is weighty but a fuel's a fool's uh, provocation is heavier than both and how true that is for one who worries about today and tomorrow uh, and, and is not reliant on Christ, who is a sufficiency of our faith, um, truly finds themselves uh, heavy and weighted down. I think you're right to connect verse 1 with Matthew 6. It seems that worrying is one side of the horse that you can fall off on. And boasting would be the other side of the horse that you can fall off on when it comes to tomorrow. The, the worry would be looking at tomorrow with dread and fear as if God has no control over it or if God doesn't know what's going to happen. Boasting would be looking at tomorrow as if I have control over what's going to happen. And, and it, it's really, two, uh, to use another image, two sides of the same coin of looking at tomorrow. And I like the way that you put it, rather than keeping our focus on today, I'm reminded of of Luke's gospel particularly emphasizes that word today in several places that this is that's when Jesus comes to us is today with his salvation. Think of the the song of the angels or I guess it's before the song of the angels but they they tell the savior has been born this day for you today or or when when he goes to Zacchaeus's house in Luke 19 you get that today salvation has come to this house because Jesus is there. And then I think all, all of it culminates when Jesus is on the cross and he tells the repentant thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And so that I, I would just say all that to, to emphasize that the, the antidote to either worry or boasting about tomorrow is to keep in mind what Jesus is doing for you today. Absolutely. And one of the things that, that yeah, I believe, I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that kind of just popped into my head that I didn't prepare for, but I think is really good to bring up is the parable of the wheat and the tares as well. Uh, that we are the wheat that, that grows with, with the tares. And oftentimes when, when we grow with the tares, we can't see uh, what is coming, the, the eschaton, uh, for, for all of the sin that, that, is, um, that is with us and by us. Uh, and and we, we really we, we start asking questions like how can God uh, let bad things happen to good people or I like to turn around how how can God let good things happen to to bad people or bad things happen to good people um, really it's the same question but but when we start asking questions like that uh, we're also asking or we're also concerned about today and tomorrow because all we can see is wheat within the tares and, and the tares end up really uh, 
clouding our vision and our understanding of faith, or excuse me, faith itself, not just our understanding of it, but faith itself. And uh, when we concern ourselves with the tares, uh, we're also concerning ourselves with today and worrying about today and aren't even able to, to see tomorrow. It's kind of, kind of, it's just, like I said, it just popped into my head, but it's kind of a, a opposite take of it. So when the wheat and the tares are uh, taken up and sifted, the, the, the wheat is placed in the barn and the tares are uh, placed into unquenchable fire, then we can see clearly. Tomorrow is actually the thing that we look forward to, the eschaton, uh, the final the final coming of Christ, that, that which uh, we have no control over. Truly, we have no control over. We are we are simply uh, wheat that is com- that that is tied to the greater stalk that is Christ crucified and resurrected. Uh, and I think that just coming to my mind actually gives me comfort as I look forward to to my own worries and concerns. Well, and I appreciate the way you, you've tied it to the eschaton, the last day, the resurrection of the dead. This is a theme that we've discovered throughout the book of Proverbs. That in order to rightly understand most of these proverbs, maybe all of them, and to apply them, you have to have that in view. You have to be looking toward tomorrow in that sense, that tomorrow is the day, well, no, I suppose I'm praying for the Lord to come today. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, come today. And yet I know, this is kind of, I don't want to get too theoretical, I suppose, but if he doesn't come today, I've got tomorrow for him to come. And, and as I look forward, that's what I'm always looking forward to. Two is the resurrection, his return, the eschaton. And and when I do that, I'm not going to be worried about tomorrow because I know that what's in store for me is the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And I'm not going to boast about it either because it's not about me, but it's about what my Lord will do for me. St. Paul says that. Don't, how does, how does he say, let, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when my focus is on the resurrection, that's where my boast is going to be. When my focus is on myself, I'm going to be boasting about you know whatever I think I'm going to do tomorrow, and and that's the foolishness that foolishness that Solomon is identifying here. Isn't it isn't it interesting how we so quickly pray for our own death, uh, particularly in the Lord's Prayer, but even in that simple uh, prayer that we all know it for at bedtime. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the, the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I mean, we're really praying, saying, I, I uh, now lay myself to sleep. And whether I live or whether I die in the hands of the Lord, we have no problem praying for our own death. Um, when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying, thy will be done uh, also. We're praying for, for our own death because we're praying for Christ to return. How easily we pray for our own death and yet have worries for tomorrow. That is incredible to me because we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, we should be more concerned about our death than we should about the mundane things that we deal with every day. But Christians actually struggle with the mundane things uh, and gladly pray for our death. And it's just, it's really just an, it's oxymoronic in our, in our faulty way of thinking, but also it's, it's a great testament to the faith that Christ gives us, um, that even while we struggle here with sin on earth and how sin affects us, uh, we, we can always look to 
our death. And as Lutherans, we don't we don't run scared of our death or of judgment. We look forward to it. And that's one of the beautiful things um, that Lutherans have. And that that uh, but it also takes away the the good old guilt conversion uh, of the other Southern Baptist. Um, and yet we look we look towards that judgment, even though that judgment is promised to us today. Uh, and, and because that, that judgment where Christ is, we shall be also. That's the judgment, uh, not uh, the, the divine. This is your life uh, in the sky and, and, and you and. There's the running tally of the good things and the bad things that you've done. It's that Christ says you are forgiven today, uh, and likewise you will be forgiven tomorrow. Just on, only ask. All you need to do is ask, uh, and that is repent, and you shall be forgiven. Christ promises us that, and that's our true sufficiency but I still worry about today and tomorrow. And the, the, the simul uses it peccator, I, I suppose, in action every single day. <laughs> yeah, I know that, and that's that's the challenge as living as Christians. Paul talks about it in Romans seven: the the good that I want to do is what I don't; the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I do. And we see that even with our worry. As you were talking there, I was reminded of a, of a previous guest who who made the connection in the book of Proverbs to the way Paul speaks in Philippians one, and maybe you quoted from it as well. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And and there you have both today and tomorrow in the hands of Christ. To live, that's today, that's Christ. And to die, that's tomorrow, that's that's gain. Either either way, I'm safe. <laughs> and so I don't need to worry. I don't need to boast. I can simply live in Christ today and die in Christ tomorrow. Absolutely. Absolutely, and, and and what a blessing it is that that we have that uh, assurance, that absolute assurance that uh, at, that as we lay ourselves down to die, um, we have the assurance of being where Christ is, and even today, as we go about our daily tasks, it can seem so lackluster when we actually accomplish these little tasks, um, and overbearing when we concern ourselves with the problems of the day. Um, and yet again, uh, dying is, is, is gain in Christ. Uh, we, we have that assurance of salvation and there's, there's, there's nothing better than that. No, absolutely nothing better than that. And that, that does then set us free to take care of those little things of today, to do the, the we would call it vocation in, in theological terms, but to do those simple things that God gives us to do today, this sort of freedom that to live as Christ and to die as gain, it, we, we are free to do those things, which is then I, I suppose where this is where Solomon takes us here in chapter 27 is into those simple little things of this life, as, as you said at the beginning, verses 5 through what, 22 form uh, just a long section in terms of oh, the, the note in the Lutheran Study Bible says it, family, friends, and other people, just basic ways that you deal with them. And so we'll, let's pick it up in verse 5 then. Better is open rebuke than hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Take us into those first couple of verses in this new section. Absolutely. Um, let me read uh, 
Dr. Andrew Steinman's uh, translation here for a second, because I think that it really unlocks uh, a couple of doors for us. Open correction is concealed love. I think that's something we can understand better um, than the translation in in ES, the ESV. I, I think that his translation just kind of walks us through it a little better. The wounds caused by someone who loves you are relatable. Um, but the kisses from someone who hates you are many. That is is so very clear. It's sort of the it's sort of the antithesis of keep your friends close but your enemies closer, or maybe is actually the it, the, act, the literal uh, saying of that. Rather, um, it, it, someone who hates you uh, and kisses you greatly, or in the other in other words, butters you up for the sake of their own advantage. Um, so there, there are many that those who who uh, who lay upon you grace and or not grace um, compliments and false grace uh, where where God builds a church the devil builds a chapel kind of thing and that, that chapel looks a lot like the church um, and so those kisses of someone who hates you invites you into those doors of the chapel and you. Th- can find yourself believing that you're in the church that God built. Um, yet the wounds by someone who loves you, those wounds are, to put it in American terms or even Southern terms, uh, the wounds caused by someone who loves you is tough love, to speak. Um, tough love. And that tough love is never what you want to hear. Uh, but it's certainly better than than an oil salesman that that uh, helps the poison go down, so to speak. Mm. Uh, so, I, and, and even in seven, uh, a satisfied appetite is honey. I'd say in the the exact same thing. Uh, but to a hungry ap- appetite, everything bitter is sweet, and that's one of the things that I have taught here at Augustana. Is how would we ever know? In this life, something that's sweet, if we only tasted that which is sweet, we would never understand what sweet is. If we only tasted things that are bitter, we would we would only have that to go by. And so we would never understand uh, sweetness if we, all that we ate was, was, was things that were bitter. And so in the eating of that which is bitter... When that sweet comes, uh, we absolutely not only know it, but love it. Mm. And so we don't eat for ourselves uh, everything that's bitter in this life, uh, lest we spurn the honey. But as it is, we who are hungry um, are truly understanding the law. Because in that law, we hunger for the sweetness of, of the gospel and it's, and vice versa. If all that we had was gospel, then uh, we would we would be comfortable in that and never uh, be called against our sins. And therefore, um, basically having spiritual diabetes, I suppose. <laughs> mm, mm. Well, and I, I think that I think that fits very well. I think that fits very well with with verse six. You know, the idea that faithful are the wounds of a friend, 
we've we've seen this in the book of Proverbs before: the importance of discipline, the importance of correction, reproof. That that these are necessary, and they may not feel good at the time. I mean, the law doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to be told that I'm a sinner worthy of hell, to be convicted and killed by the law in that way. And yet that's the the wound that I need, the faithful or the reliable wound, as Dr. Steinman puts it, to to show me that I'm in need of the gospel and I can know the true sweetness of the gospel. We need that discipline. And that's that's certainly true when it comes to our earthly relationships, that the you know, the friend who's willing to tell me, hey, you you messed that up. You need to you need to repent. That's faithfulness. The person who's always flattering me probably has something else up his sleeve that he's trying to pull. How much more true is it in the way that we relate to God that he would give us his word to show us who we truly are, to show us that we are sinners, to do that which is painful to us so that he can then raise us from the dead in the sweetness of the gospel. We got about two minutes here before the break to wrap this conversation up. Um, well, I mean, I think that you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, the one who, the one who is, uh, full loathes, loathes honey. Uh, again, that's, it's very easy to, to fall into antinomianism in, in that sense, because if it doesn't really say what we what we would be full with, uh, but that, if you are full of, let's say, if you are full, let's give bo- both sides. If you're full of the world's mammon, um, then you would still, you could still despise the sweetness that is the honey or, or the gospel. Um, also, if you are full with only honey, only gospel, um, then easily you can you can just say, "Give me more, 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 more of that," and we're never ever called uh, on our sins on. Uh, and therefore, we have freed ourselves up to be horrible to our neighbor, to sin against our parents, to fall into adultery, um, to and, and ultimately to find all other gods except God. And the, the false gospel, I'll put it, or faux gospel, is what has allowed us to to do that and to open ourselves up truly to to a condemnation and damnation that. We, we really deserve because we've misunderstood the gospel of Christ and turned it into a gospel of man. So faithful are the friend, the wounds of a friend, profuse the kisses of an enemy. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, October 14th. We're looking at Proverbs 27, verses 1 through 27. We've got Pastor Gavin Mize with us. He serves at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina. 
Pastor Mize, prior to the break, we read verses 1 through 14 of chapter 27, which does break in the middle of this long section here in the middle, verses 5 through 22, deals with domestic life. And we've looked at that some. We're going to go ahead and read the rest of the text and continue that conversation, picking up again in Proverbs 27, verse 15 now. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. As in water face reflects face, so in the heart of man, excuse me, so the heart of man reflects the man. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and maintenance for your girls. That is the end of Proverbs 27. That was verses 15 through 27. So Pastor Mize, uh, verse 17 stands out. (laughs) Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. This is the verse, actually, that when Pastor Fisk was laying out his idea for the show, this was the verse he keyed on for the title, Sharper Iron. So it seems like a verse that we ought to have a bit of a conversation about now that we finally get to look at it. What's Solomon getting at? I've got about three things to, to say here. Uh, so we'll just take them, not in a row, but uh, 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 uh Back and forth, if you will. First, uh, as iron sharpens iron, the very thing that it reminds me of right away is a eternal wisdom and truth that all that all upright mothers have, and that eternal truth that my mother had as well is this: you are who you hang out with. That's just a reality. Uh, so if you're hanging out with the people uh, who are uh, worldly and, and desire does desire to bring you into that world, that understanding, you're, that's going to reflect on you. Um, if you have friends that are upright uh, and, love, and love and fear the Lord, uh, you are going to be influenced by that. So that's the very first thing. I know that's putting it simply, but... It's still a it's still a, a eternal truth. Um, rarely will you ever have a friend group or a peer group, and I hope that there's some middle schoolers or high school high schoolers listening to this. Uh, rarely will you have a peer group that you will enjoy and yet somehow be separated from. Um, you're going to end up uh, reflecting on each other, and the same thing is true for a, a positive peer group um, that rarely will you ever defect from that uh, positivity, love and fear of the Lord. Rarely will you ever depart from that, that path. So that's, that's the first thing that I have. 
Well, um, and I mean, I think you're you're exactly right that this is part of it is simple knowledge that uh, you said upright mothers. I, mean, I think even I mean any any mother communicates this to her children uh, that you are who you hang out with. That's that's pretty simple knowledge that you don't even need. I would say divine revelation to recognize that when you hang out with someone, they're going to rub off on you, and we've seen this elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, the same idea about the company that you keep. And, and as, as Christians then, well, we need to take care because there, there's a, there's a temptation to think that we will be the ones influencing as Christians and never the one influenced. And while certainly as Christians, we do want to influence non-Christians. We want to speak God's word to them and, and show the truth, show the light in a world of darkness we dare not think that we're immune to the influence going the other way. And that's a very dangerous mindset to think that we can somehow, well, how does, how does St. Paul say it? Take heed when you stand, lest you fall in first Corinthians chapter 10. And, and we, we need to just pay attention to the wisdom of, of our moms in this case. And, and certainly that's there. So that's a little bit back and forth on, on point one, what you got for point two or. Well, well also um, in the wisdom of Solomon. <laughs> well, Solomon too. Also that, that goes, it points right to what we're going to discuss in verse 21 uh, regarding reputation as well. Um we want to have a good reputation, even though 27, we're going to look at the opposite, but we want to have a good reputation. And by uh, having a good reputation, it means that we are upright amongst our people, including our peer group or those who are the antithesis of that mm. peer group. Uh, rarely do we ever stand in an echo chamber um, uh, where, where just good things are going to be said about us and therefore Having a good reputation, um, reputation is, is at its best when you're facing uh, those who stand against you. Number two, uh, I actually adopted this iron sharpens iron when I was wrestling in high school and, and college. And the idea was that if, if you found a wrestling partner who pushed you and who made you better, that was who you stuck with. If you if you uh, were to grab a partner that was, you know, let's say his first year wrestling, um, and you just walked all over, well, you truly never really learned anything. You never got better. You never uh, uh, you're never made stronger to 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 really someone better than you um, who just wipes the mat with you. They also have a responsibility to bring you along as well. Like if if I were beating up on a first year, that's not going to do anything for him either, unless I bring him along and give him and point him to another uh, wrestler who who would make him better. Uh, and and that's truly how we understand the Christian life. Uh, but it's also very much uh, Jacobean uh, in the sense of wrestling with the Lord. Uh, and it's always, it always interested me that, that Jacob wrestled with Jesus, uh, the angel of the Lord, and he didn't do bad. You know, he, he, it, he made it through the entire night. You know, you would think it would be a very easy, uh, easy win for Jesus. Um, but 
instead, it, he wrestled through the entire night. Christ touched his hip. It was dislocated, and yet he still would not let him go until he blessed him. And in that sense that we see that wrestling thing again, where the iron sharpens iron in wrestling, as well as on the side of a mountain with Jesus and, and Jacob. Um, and, and what happens in the midst of that iron sharpening iron, uh, or uh, that iron sharpening iron is that Israel comes, comes from it. And, and uh, truly the entire land is blessed. Not, not, not that Christ was sharpened, but uh, his his still sharpened uh, Jacob and the people of Israel, um, who who would need the grit uh, mm-hmm. for for years to come. Right, and in that sense, I, I, that thought had crossed my mind too when it comes to this verse that you know when iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Well, I mean, if you think of think of Christ there as one man, the one man who is sharpening another, that's a one-way sort of sharpening. It's not a reciprocal thing. When when Christ is that one man who with whom I'm wrestling or with whom Jacob is wrestling, he's the one sharpening me. And and that's what happens when when I engage with the scriptures, when I wrestle with the Lord in in prayer, he's the one that's sharpening me. It's not a not a reciprocal thing, but it is a real thing. And and we should we should see that within the verse. Within the verse, we can also see this back and forth sort of iron sharpening iron. As you gave the example with your your wrestling partner, this this was a, another thing. I did, I was not a wrestler in in high school. Um, I I, I think sure. it's all sports. Well, yeah, exactly. So so yeah, I was going to say for for me, it's in, in racquetball. I, I picked up racquetball in college, and and I'm blessed to live in a town that actually has a racquetball court. It's not not true in every place, and so in looking for someone to play racquetball with, I, I mean, there's plenty of folks that that will play with me, but when I play someone who is not at the same level as I am. I play down to the competition. I, I don't play my best game. And and they probably get better at times, but it may not be serving me. Whereas if I can find that that person who will sharpen my skills and I can sharpen back, it, it elevates both of our games. And I mean, so it's true in any sport, like you said. How much more true then is it for us as Christians? And, and this is, I mean, I think this really takes us into a conversation at least in part about the church, why God sees fit not to make it, not to make Christianity just me and Jesus, me and my Bible kind of hanging out wherever I want, but he actually puts me into the church in, how does the the third article go? It's not just that, that I believe that the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, but that it happens as a part of the church in the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. It's not just me and Jesus. I need other Christians. I need to be around them. They need to sharpen me, and I need to sharpen them. Of course, in Christ, and and that's that's very much key that He's the one doing the sharpening of all of us in His Word. And I, absolutely, um, also the the way that you put that, I'm going to put my catechetical aesthetics or beauty uh, hat on for a second. Uh, you can't get that in a coffee shop church in the, in the very laid back, um, uh, all, you know, everything's, everything's cool. The, um, the, you know, all hell, the barista, that, that, that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, you can have, you can have mutual consolation of the brethren that, that way. Um, you can, 
discuss and kind of sharpen each other, but truly the the greatest sharpening happens in the liturgical dojo or the liturgical ring or liturgical. We're all standing together, but we're being sharpened by the word of God together. And in that sense, we are all being sharpened because it's it's a um it's a vertical and a horizontal understanding of of the word of God uh, being preached, being washed over us, being fed to us, um, drinking drinking of Christ's blood, and all of that. We are truly being sharpened together uh, at the same time, which is why you can't simply have this liturgical uh, lack, lackadaisy um, type of divine service. Because as soon as you dress down that, you're dressing down the Word of God, um, and you, we have to keep things in its in its proper place. I'm not saying that there's not a place for. Um, well, let's let's take the hat off to Eddie Van Halen. Um, I'm not saying there's not a place for Van Halen concerts. There is. I'm not saying that there's not a place for a good cup of coffee with a friend. There is. Um, I'm just saying that neither of those things are divine service. And in that divine service, we are being sharpened to a tight edge, not just kind of rubbing around, uh, hoping that that you, we find a whetstone or something like that, you know. Uh, but that well, was my thought on that. No, and, and I, I think, I mean, I think that's helpful to bring out that some things sharpen more than others and, and to not just, you know, iron sharpens iron as Solomon gives it here is, is a bit nebulous. It's, it's not terribly specific, but, but when we apply this as Christians, we do need to be specific. What is it that does the sharpening? What sharpens with the greatest precision? This is the word of God, law and gospel in full force. And, and in that to recognize then that there not only are things that sharpen, but there are also things that dull. The The fact that I need to be sharpened and, and others need to be sharpened means that something must be out there dulling me. And I think that that's a bit of a connection point to your first point about who you hang out with. That if, if I'm not with other Christians who are sharpening me, and if I'm not letting that happen to me within the context of the divine service where Christ is present with his gifts for me and for the whole church— then not only am I not being sharpened, but I'm actually being dulled. I mean, it, it well, I can say it cuts both ways. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, for, for the third one, I'm going to tip my hat again, but this time to Reverend Fisk. Uh, if we, if we remember in his, uh, oh, what, what was the first thing that he came out? Well, worldview everlasting. And he had those three samurai swords behind him. If you've ever looked at a samurai sword, you'll notice the waves in, in on on the blade. Uh, what and I, for for when I was a kid and I saw those waves because my parents let me play with knives, uh, I always wondered what those waves were. Until later, I learned uh, it's the folding of the knife, and that's where they would take the the steel and they would heat it up and they would just fold it over. 
and over and over and over and over again. And with each fold that was folded on, on the steel, the blade became harder and harder and harder and therefore able to keep a sharp edge. If you didn't fold it over, the edge would you, – you could make an edge, but it would easily be dented. It would be blunted. It would be uh, – what was the word that you used? It would be um, – Dulled. Dulled. Yeah, yeah d- dulled, if that's a word. Um, <laughs> it, and and it, w- it would not stand up to any kind of foe or adversary or anything like that. Therefore, they had to make it as strong as possible by heating it up and folding it over. And what's behind that folding is always a blacksmith who, by the sweat of his brow and by his work, that uh, and by his own hammer, uh, that steel was folded over and over and over. And in that sense, Christ is truly the great blacksmith. Mm-hmm. By the sweat of his brow, um, by his, well, for, let's start with this: by his humanity, uh, by the sweat of his brow, by his work on the cross. Um, and by his resurrection, he's constantly folding us over and over and over by he who is the word of God, uh, because we don't want to talk about the word of God as if it's se- separate or somehow nebulous uh, to Christ. It is. He is Christ, according to John one. Um, and therefore, he who is the word uses his word to fold us over and over and over uh, um, until we are waved in baptismal waves um, and, and strengthened in uh, in every single every single day that we dive into His Word, uh, not mi- not uh, in in a mystic sense. We're actually in His Word uh, and in prayer and um, in uh, devotion uh, and in the recep- the reception of His means of grace. We are constantly being folded over and over and over. In that sense, uh, we see again, Christ is the one who uh, is the true iron that sharpens we who are iron. Uh, Because I don't want to get too far away from what the scripture is actually saying here. But uh, truly, he is the great iron or the gold standard or the... Uh, was was the, the, the great ruler that that makes all other rulers a ruler? Mm. I um, I can't think of w- what country that's in, but there's actually a ruler or or a meter stick for which all other meters are considered a meter. And if you don't have that cast, then you've got you've got nothing. Right. I mean, th- you have to recognize you have to see Christ in this verse in order for it not just to be, hey, let's all get together and sort of just sharpen each other in some sort of very nebulous way. It has to be centered in Christ so that Christ is the standard for iron in, in this case and, and the standard for the one man. I, I mean, I think maybe we can just even say that, almost think of it. Christ sharpens another and, and start there. And then as those who are in Christ, we do sharpen each other. But again, with, with him as the standard with Christ, with his word, in the means of grace being folded over and over. So if I can try to summarize, Pastor, Pastor Mize, Christ is the great blast blacksmith as we wrestle in the liturgical dojo. I think that's what you just said. I think you just, I think you just corralled all three of my points. All right. Yeah. All right. We, we can, also, I, I like, ahead, I like how ahead. this, I like how this connects to, um, 18 as well. And, and I love, I love the, uh, the comments about 18 in, in the Lutheran study Bible. 
18 is whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit and he who guards his master will be honored. And this is the entire footnote here. Loyalty pays off in any vocation. <laughs> How uh, not, not exactly the, the most uh, eloquent, but definitely to definitely to the point. Hmm. Loyalty but- pays off in, in, in any vocation. And such is true uh, in Christ. To us, um, and also as we enter into vocations, and we start, and we talk to other Christians, um, that loyalty pays off for, for uh, or yeah, it pays off for us as well. Mm. So I just, just kind of a little point there. We got about seven minutes left, Pastor Mize, and I know we want to look at verse twenty-one. You've referenced it a few times. I'll read it again. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Now, we've seen this comparison before about crucibles for silver, furnaces for gold, but the the way that Solomon has the second part of the verse is is different. A man is tested by his praise. What what is Solomon saying in verse 21? Uh, I'm going to read here uh, what Luther has um, regarding this verse. Uh, a man being tested by his praise. Luther oftentimes, and we kind of, yeah, we go back to reputation and having a good reputation. And Luther talks constantly about it, about uh, having a good reputation. If your reputation uh, is tarnished, um, it, it's almost impossible to get back. Um, and having a good reputation amongst our Christians, amongst fellow Christians, is a good and salutary thing that's not to say be fake or or anything like like that 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 the world accuses the church of being the worst the the best thing that that the world can say about the church is that hypocrites go there um because it's true uh we're just honest hypocrites um which you may consider a which the world may consider a good thing or a bad thing but we have no problem in fact before service even begins what do we say I, a poor, miserable sinner. We, we confess that we are hypocrites, um, yet being a hypocrite doesn't mean carrying the light of Christ into the world. That's not where we're hypocrites. Um, we're hypocrites to the world standard. Uh, and that in and of itself makes for a bad reputation to the world, but makes for a good reputation amongst our brothers and sisters where we put the best construction on them according to the Eighth Commandment. Um and so we have Luther who constantly talks about how uh, meat, right, and salutary it is to have a good reputation. But here, concerning this verse, Luther writes, um, There must be great diligence and care, lest honor and good reputation puff up the heart, and the heart find pleasure in him. And then, few and most spiritual men must Few and few and most spiritual men must they be who, when honored and praised, remain indifferent and unchanged, so that they do not care for it, uh, nor feel pride and pleasure in it, but remain entirely free, ascribe all their honor and fame to God, offering it to Him alone, and using it to the glory, only for the glory of God and for the edification of their neighbors. Uh, there's a, there's an ellipsis in that, so I'll read the first again. 
And there must be great diligence and care, lest honor and good reputation puff up the heart and the heart find pleasure in them. So we cannot allow our reputation to uh, exceed that of Christ. And what I mean by that is once we exceed uh, Christ in reputation, then we're on the ledge by ourselves or we're on the tightrope by, by ourselves. And that's what it means to be puffed up or arrogant Um only relying on our on our reputation um, and not on Christ, who is the chief cornerstone. Instead, the point of a good reputation is that it's a benefit to our neighbor. Uh, and if it's not a benefit to our neighbor, then our reputation means nothing. Um, and which is which is great because as infants we're baptized, and therefore our reputation is not earned outside of Christ who earned it for us on the cross. So we start out with a great reputation um, amidst our brothers and sisters who also have the same reputation. It's only when we rely on ourselves that we find out uh, we truly, we truly uh, cannot depend on ourselves lest uh, the entire house crumble. The, the danger of, of praise is that it does fill us with this pride arrogance, or that's the way we could take it. I, as I was reflecting on this verse, I was reminded of what Jesus talks about in Luke 17. He talks about the relationship of a, a servant and a, and a master. Uh, and, you know, Jesus says, look, if, if you've got a, a servant who's plowing the field, do you, do, would you say to him, hey, you come and, and recline at table? You know, what's, what's the relationship between servant and master? And, and they know what the answer is. The master is the one who tells the servant what to do. And, and Jesus concludes that little section, Luke 17, 10, with this. You also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty, which, which keeps the focus off of us and puts it on our Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our good reputation is a benefit to our neighbor, and it's also, then it reflects on, on our Lord. What is Jesus in Matthew 5, when they'll see your good works and give praise to your Father who is in heaven. It's not about you. It's not about your arrogance, pride. It's about Jesus, your master. Pastor Pastor Mize, with about a minute, give us concluding thoughts on that verse, the, the section in Proverbs. Leave us with some wisdom. Absolutely. Let's take a look at this part here. Um, when the grass is gone and the new growth appear and the vegetation of the mountain is gathered, uh, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of the field. And there will be enough goat's milk for your own food and uh, for the food of your household and the maintenance of your girls. And right, that right there bookends our understanding of um, being worried about tomorrow and uh, finally having your sufficiency in both uh, temporal and eternal uh, ways that not only should you not worry about tomorrow, the reason you should not worry about tomorrow is the Lord takes care of all that we need in body and soul. And in the midst, uh, we love one another as Christ first loved us. So this chapter is absolutely amazing. Pastor Gavin Mize is the pastor at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina, helping us this morning with Proverbs 27, verses 1 through 27. Pastor Mize, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much. Always enjoyed being here. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.